Hey everyone, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired Hunt, and you're listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. And today on the show, we're joined again by Tom Ware of Drury Outdoors, and we're going deep into the topic of scrapes, both mock scrapes and natural. And this topic is particularly relevant right now, as late October is the absolute best time of year to focus on scrapes. So, with that said, let's just get right into the interview. Welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. With me today is Matt Drury, and we're talking about scrapes today and all sorts of different things related to scrapes. How are you, buddy? Not bad. I'm uh, I'm good to be here. Excited. Excited to get out hunting here soon, too. Yeah, it's this time of year where we're thinking scrapes and mock scrapes and rubs, and it's finally here, right? <laughs> what we think about all year, it's finally getting close. And it just keeps getting better from here. That's that's, that's what's right. really exciting. This is that ramp-up period that uh, I think bucks are getting excited, and hunters are definitely getting excited. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. Dad was telling me just this morning that he's been he's moved a lot of his cameras to scrapes, which he leaves a lot of his cameras on big hub scrapes mm-hmm. throughout the year. But he's saying that on his place, anyways, he's like Matt, if you're on your lease, he goes, you need to start moving your cameras because they're starting to really light up for me. So I think the the topic is timely here for us for sure. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because literally that's what I just did yesterday. I was moving my cameras to. All of them are set up on some type of scrape right now. So, uh, so yeah, very relevant, very timely. And also with us, though, today, Matt, in addition to you and myself, we've got Tom Ware, is it, right? Absolutely. We got uh, Tommy Ware. He's been with Drury Outdoors for a little over a decade now. He's been filming for us, and you've seen him on Natural Born. You've seen him on Bow Madness and, of course, our DVD series throughout the years. So anybody that's watched knows that Tom has a way to get on big mature bucks. It's through a lot of hard work and a, and a, and a lot of perseverance, but every year he seems to get it done. And so uh, we look forward to seeing what he has to share on the topic. Yeah. Now, now Tom, I got to really quickly ask you, you know, every year I watch your hunts on the DVDs or the shows and you're always after a giant. So I'm just curious, do you have one of those special deer this year? I do. I have uh, <laughs> one particular deer this year. He's in Iowa and, uh, I'm I'm going after him. His his name is Kermit because we had a I passed him for four years. He's seven years old, and uh, he I had an encounter with him at at with this little interior pond in the timber, and there's always a bunch of frogs in it, so we referred to it as Frog Pond. So when when he came in, I was like, boy, that deer's gonna be special, and and he was three years old at the time, and we we nicknamed him Kermit that year, and so anyway, so four years later, yeah, I'm, I'm finally hunting him to kill him. So hopefully. Ooh. Hopefully I'll get a shot this year. How much internal, uh, I guess, I don't know, you got to have some sort of internal personal uh, fortitude. Fortitude, that's the word I'm looking for to, to hold off on a deer for. <laughs> I mean, have you had an encounter with them each of those years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Oof. absolutely. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's just this special farm where, you know, I have very, very good neighbors and I'm very blessed in that everyone manages uh, now all my farms, I can't do that. Uh, but you know, I still always try to pass until at least four years old, but, uh, in Missouri, you know, I'm not going to shoot anything under, under four, uh, on, on that farm. Uh, neighbors are pretty good there as well, but you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to let a six year old walk. So it's just, you know, that's just a, a very rare, you know, that's not going to happen very often. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so, it's it's interesting to get, uh, you know, and it's like you're saying, depending on where your property is or what your situation is, it kind of dictates your management purposes. I know, you know, dad's changed his thoughts a little bit over the last few years on his Missouri place because, you know, frankly, you just cannot grow them past, you know, four four years old, five years old. It's it's tough because of the, the pressure and the roads and the neighbors Absolutely. and you know, so it's kind of a uh, dependent on, on your geographic location and what your neighbors are yeah. like. Yeah. I think, I think Drury Outdoors has come a long way uh, to help people actually pass deer though. They've seen, and you know, they've seen like, Hey, if I can talk to my neighbors and in a nice way, I mean, if they don't want to manage, you never pressure them. But if you can talk to your neighbors and, and say, Hey, uh, agree together to, to pass certain deer, uh, it's, it's pretty fun to just actually pick up their sheds and, and watch what they turn into the next year. That's, that's probably, I enjoy that as much as, as the kill. Yeah. Probably more, more than the kill. So. It, it's pretty interesting to see that evolution and you almost become, you know, it's like, well, Mark with you in Holyfield, you knew him last year and it's just mm-hmm. like come ingrained and with this, this one deer and you know, it, it, you everybody feels like, oh, that's my deer. That's my deer. Cause you got them on picture, but they're not, you know, they're, yeah. they're roaming all over the place. And there might be three neighbors that have that same deer on their, on their trail cameras, but you just, it's like a family member almost like you just, you, you know, you just can't wait to see them in person and everything you do, you just think about them and you look at yeah. them over and over. It's pretty amazing. You know, and to even find the shed is amazing. Honestly, when oh, you yeah. think, how much you got to walk to, you know, it's a needle in a haystack. So it's, it's, it's neat to see you be able to hunt a, a deer that old. It is. It's, it's this, it's a really weird, like paradoxical relationship in that, you know, we, we have this like animal that we're like fascinated with. And like you, like, like, like we've said, we form some kind of weird relationship with that deer, but at the same time we're trying to kill it, which I think a lot of people from the outside of our little hunting community probably think is really weird. Um, but wow, it is a really powerful, cool experience to be able to get to know a deer over multiple years. Like you said, Tom, that's become my favorite thing about, you know, hunting some of these spots where I do have that, you know, where I am fortunate enough to see some of these deer multiple years in a row. It's 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 a huge challenge to try to target one of those deer specifically year after year and you never know if they're gonna make it. But when it does come together, it's really cool. But also, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but it's also kind of sad when it comes together, you know, when you do finally kill that deer that you've been hunting for three years, like I've really felt like it's like a weird, like, I don't know, like some, some mothers talk about this, like post, uh, you know, after they have their baby, they have some, this, some kind of depression. Yeah. It's like this post yeah. post killing your buck depression where it's like, wow, I'm never going to, you know, get a trail camera picture of jawbreaker again. I'm never going to go out into the field hoping I'm going to see him this night. Um, so it's a kind of strange, interesting thing that, that we do. I've had that experience, but it's because someone else killed the deer I was after. <laughs> that's, that's the worst. <laughs> I'm still trying to connect to the one that you've been after for a year or two. So yeah, I'll let you know how I feel. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm sure it'll happen here soon. So I guess with that in mind, though, we should maybe get to our question of the day and get to this the good stuff that hopefully hopefully lead to us killing some deer here soon. Absolutely. The question of the day is brought to you by Cabela's, the world's foremost outfitter. Hi, Mark. My name is Brent Paris, and I'm from Syracuse, New York. My question is about making scrapes, but not Scrapes 101. I'm hoping more for Scrapes 401. When, where, and how are the most effective ways to get a buck to check one out that I've made? How often should a buck come by to consider it a successful scrape? And finally, when should I hunt over that scrape that the buck actually visits? Thanks for your great podcast and your help. 
Awesome question. And uh, Tom, yeah, I'm curious. Can you give us the details of you know how you use mock scrapes, how you make them? All the specifics would be great. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I I'm a big guy on using uh, scrapes, uh, whether it's a mock scrape or a real scrape, uh, for for camera setups to find what deer are in my uh, in my woods. Uh, and, and I find out, you know, if there's any mature deer I want to hunt, I'm, I'm checking those cameras, especially now. In fact, on my Illinois farm, uh, there's a buck I call Batman and, and I've been, uh, he didn't show up last year until October 2nd. I've been checking those cameras. I just checked them the other day and he showed up October 7th. Wow. And so I was all excited. I texted all my friends a picture, you know, all my hunting buddies. And I'm like, he's back, you know, Batman is alive. (laughs) And, uh, so I, I use scrapes to, uh, to find the deer. Uh, I do hunt over them, uh, not a lot, but I do, it, you know, I'll hunt over them if they're on the edges of food plots and stuff like that. But I don't spe- specifically go deep in the woods, exploring, trying to find like a, uh, a big scrape or something to hunt over. I, I, I stay out of the timber and I'll, I'll find those scrapes to just to hang the cameras and find the deer that are in the area. And that's, that's the main use I use them for. So when you are actually making your own, how do you specifically do that? I usually just take, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put the cameras up in August, late August, uh, right in there. I'll, uh, if there's a, if there's a, a great, uh, scrape branch, you know, I'll take the, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, the handsaw. I just use a handsaw literally. And I try not to touch it myself, but I'll just use that handsaw to kind of wipe, uh, knock the leaves off the branch. And then I, I use it to, uh, to cut the grass and try to, you know, try to actually make a rub, the rub the ground. So it's just down to dirt. And, and those it's, it works like crazy. It, it, it works phenomenally. And I use it always on tree coys too. I'll, I'll put a tree coy up and uh, put the licking branch out, you know, and then uh, make a mock scrape under that licking branch and and face the camera. Usually, a lot of times if I have a box blind, I'll face the camera towards that tree coy so I know exactly, you know, what deer are in my area and if they're actually in front of what stand at what day. And then I'll check those cameras only with the right wind. Uh, so if it's you know if it's a north wind stand. I'm only going to check those cameras with a north wind. And, uh, you know, I usually a lot of times will check them a couple hours before I go hunt to find out which, you know, use MRI and, and find out which stand I'm going to. Do you ever put any scent in those mock scrapes or use any kind of attractant like that in relation to them? Uh, I, I do not. I've uh, embarrassingly <laughs> I've peed in them myself. <laughs> Nothing to be embarrassed about that. <laughs> but, uh I, yeah, that works, uh, to kind of get them going, but, uh, they, uh, I, I don't use any, any sense in them myself. Yeah. I, th- I think it would work though. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I've tried buck bomb a few times and I've had some good luck with that. And I, I know we've tried it over at, 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 uh, dad's Illinois place before and have, have had success with it. And I know some guys do stuff like that, or some guys use like, what is it? Is it tinks or, you know, I, I've, I've never tried that before, but we have tried buck bomb and had some luck with that. And, and I have several buddies that do the same thing you do, Tom, they just pee in the <laughs> scrape themselves. So, um, I mean, I, you know, so we always get that question, whether you pee in a bottle in your stand or just, you know, just go, I, I mean, I, I don't know that it affects them at all. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different, you know, 
I read an article years ago on uh, they were studying. I think it was in North American Whitetail Magazine, and it was it was labeled uh, urine is urine, and it was <laughs> talking about uh, you know, and if a buck can tell if it's human urine or another animal's urine, and the consensus was that they they really couldn't. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's true. I, I, I really honestly don't know, but I, I know that big bucks come to the scrapes uh, after I do that. So it can't hurt it then. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bother them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I read an article, um, and, and the one I read I think was in Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. This was probably like eight, nine years ago. And they did a study where they, they had trail cameras over scrape locations, and they had different things in each scrape. So they had one was human urine, one was nothing, and then there was three or four different, you know, for sale attractants and, you know, some doe and heat stuff, some buck urine, et cetera, et cetera. And they found no noticeable difference between any of them. Um, there was just as much activity from human urine as there was for something you paid 20 bucks for. And there was no negative reaction to that. Um, so that kind of convinced me. So I just, I let it fly now, <laughs> whether it's on the tree stand or when I'm setting up a new mock scrape. I do. I do too. Yeah. I got to go. I go. Yeah. Now, on that mock scrape, one of the things that dad likes to do, if it, if it's early enough in the season, he'll actually bring a weed eater back and he'll, he'll weed eat down to dirt, like you're saying, and really get, you know, a pretty big size, you know, uh, circle going there so that he, yep. he always says he wants them to be able to see it from a long ways away and become mm -hmm. a destination spot. So he, he does that a lot and he'll take in a shovel and, you know, a rake and all that good stuff and really make sure the dirt's worked up. And yeah. one of the things that he does a lot that I started doing on our lease is cutting all of the, you know, like the licking branches all around my area. So they end up going to, whether it's the tree koi that we got in the food plot or what, so they end up having to go to that one spot to, to hit where you're wanting to hit. And we've had a camera out on, I got the south food plots last bite, and we have a tree koi on it. And all my best pictures have been, I mean, it's middle of the night stuff, but of my biggest deer have been on that, and they're just killing the tree koi, and, you yeah. know, and doing their thing. So it, it you know, it definitely, to, to find out what you got, it's a, a good tool to utilize. Can can one of you guys talk a little bit about this whole tree koi topic? I'm not sure we've ever really dove into it in detail. You know, what's the value of putting a mock scrape tree out in the middle of a field or a food plot? Because I'm doing it now too. Um, but I don't know, Tom, is that something you do too? Can you explain why you do that? I, absolutely. Um, I tell you what, it, it works phenomenally. Uh, you know, when the deer are out feeding in a, uh, uh, I, I think deer are very much kind of like a big bass would be to a log. They use it as structure. Uh, they they want to go mark something. I don't know if it's like a dominance thing uh, where they, a lot of times they'll come straight out if there's other bucks in the, in the food plot that almost will will kind of go over to that tree koi and use it to kind of you know do the licking branch thing do the scrape it gets them fired up like hey this is my this is my plot what are you doing here and it, it just works uh, it draws them right in front of wherever you want them to be you know as if you're if you have a tree stand or a box blind or, or a ground blind uh you can put it you know i, I put mine 20 to 25 yards i, I try to put them about 20 actually uh yards in front uh the 25 i notice sometimes i, I miss the shot <laughs> you know, make them as close as i can so it's a chip shot and and uh it it really wor it works great 
I, I got them in almost every single one of my food plots. I have them in both of our food plots. And it's, it's a, Mark always said it's a fish structure like you're talking about. And it just, it, yeah. it's like a magnet almost. And, to, you know, when dad told me about, you know, cutting all the other branches, it's, it's not like that's some earth shattering, you know, thought, but it really dawned on me. It's like, well, I guess that really makes sense. If they got no other options, they will come straight to that thing to, like you said, to kind of show off and, and prove that they're the man in the, in the area. And, and, um, if you got in the right spot, you know, you're going to have that shot. And that, now that's the one thing that Mark always preaches on is making sure when you, whether you're using a real tree or one of the, you know, the fake decoy tree coys out there that, that are available, make sure that the, your limbs are, are turned so that you have a broadside shot. Cause if, you know, if you have the limb facing you, you know, you're going to have a butt facing you, you, you know what I mean? So I, be all that. I've got an issue on one of mine. I did not do a good enough job planting my fake tree. So I, I made my own and I just didn't dig the hole deep enough, I guess, because now this tree spins around with the wind. So, <laughs> so one day it's facing away from me. One day it's facing towards me. And uh, I, I haven't been out there. I've got a wireless trail camera on it. So I haven't actually been out there to mess around with it. But um, I know one of these days I'm going to have to, hopefully it's after I shoot a buck, then I can go fix it. I'd rather not mess around with it and put my scent everywhere. But yeah. uh, it's less than ideal. <laughs> hey, you got you to gotta go deep. I, I had the same problem. And uh, Mark, and it was... Uh, I actually started using quickcrete, and then uh, then I, I didn't want to pull that big chunk of concrete out every year with the tractor. So I actually now I actually use a, you know a tractor's um, uh, what's it called uh, auger, and I just it's connected to tra- tractor, and we put them in in September, and just we we go deep, and we usually try to get actually a pretty big tree, uh, and sometimes I use the tree koi actually the one you know put out by Flambeau, so. You know, I on on our lease, the staging area that we hunt all the time. I was just telling Dad this morning about it. There's like four little lo- locust trees. They all these deer come out of the timber, and then right in front of us are like these four locust trees, and they always hit one of them, like the licking branch or whatever, and then they move on. And he's like, "You need to cut those out and leave just one of them." You know, because I told him I was like, "You can never get a shot because." it's so brushy right there with the locust tree. You just can't get through there. They always stop at the furthest one back. And he's like, you should just cut the three furthest one and you just got the one closest one. And, 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 you know, so there's sometimes in your, you know, your certain areas, there's already a tree that's there that you just need to kind of maybe cultivate around it to make it work for you, you know, so you don't have to put one in. Yeah. I like this idea too, you know, whether it be with a, with a tree, you know, a scrape tree koi, this type of thing, where, sorry, a field tree koi where you're putting it out in the middle of a food plot or you've got a mock scrape you know, back in the timber by your tree stand. I think it's just another one of these little little chips you can put in your favor. You know, if, if you can stack the odds one little thing at a time, this is one of those ways to do that, and eventually that's going to lead to success. You know, like we talked about, if this just causes that deer to come 10 yards closer to your tree stand, hey, that's a big win. Or if this little mock scrape back in the timber you know, causes that deer to pause for 10 seconds versus, you know, walking through really quickly. That could be the difference between just seeing that big buck and getting a shot. Um, or in, like you just mentioned, Matt, you know, sometimes removing something so that it's going to improve that shot opportunity. I think with scrapes, there's a lots, there's lots of different ways here where you can just tweak things a little bit or add one little thing in your favor that, you know, scrapes may not make or break your season, but 
it might be the little 2% difference that in the end does make the big difference. So mm-hmm. it's, it's something to keep in mind for sure. So Tom, is there a certain time of year that you would not put, you know, like, okay, I'm to this point in the season, I'm not going to put a new mock scrape out. You know, like I, I know that dad does it a lot in late summer, like August when he starts yeah. his, is there a time like right now, October, where you'd be like, no, I'm not going to start one myself. I'm going to rely on one that's no, I, already you out there. Start one now in mid October. Uh, they are, I mean, I, I would be moving your cameras today if you haven't to, uh, to scrapes because that's that you're you're basically taking an inventory of your bucks. If you move it to a, a big scrape, uh, you know, not just one that's been hit once, but one that you can tell they're hitting, especially on the on a food source on the edge of a cornfield, bean field, uh, agri, any ag, you know, alfalfa, whether it's a food plot, uh, that's even better. Uh, if you can move those cameras to the scrapes, whether you have to make a mock scrape yourself, uh, that that's fine too. If it's especially if it's on a food plot or on a an area, you know, maybe a trail's coming out from the timber and, and there's an overhanging branch right there where you can make a mock scrape. Yeah, I'd definitely say, I don't think it, it's not going to hurt anything. Uh, you know, I, especially if you can take a, a saw or a rake or something like that and just go in there and rough up the ground and put a camera on a little tree right in front of it, you're, you're going to get almost every big buck on your, on your farm or in that area hitting that scrape. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's a wonderful tool to use to inventory all the, and find out what's on your property. Awesome. Now, what about, what about hunting over scrapes? You know, I, I just talked about how, you know, a scrape maybe will help you a little bit with that pause or whatever it is, but do you ever actually target a scraping location as like, I want to hunt back here in the timber because of a scrape? Is that something you ever do? Or is there a situation where you would do that? I have in the past uh, years ago, uh, but I, I honestly do not now. The only time I hunt over scrapes is, of course, the trecoy situation, or there might be scrapes on the side of the food plots I'm hunting. But I don't specifically, you know, target a scrape inside deep timber and go looking just because I'm I'm very uh, low pressure and I do not go into I, I don't go into the deep timber. Literally, I don't, I don't hunt deep timber. I hunt edges and I hunt food. Interesting. It definitely seems like, I think that's more and more the case today. I think back in the day, scrapes were something that people really keyed in on. And then there's been a lot of more recent research that just shows that so much of that scraping activity is actually happening at night. So, you know, well, if you're, if think you're... About it this way too, I mean, back in the day, there weren't cameras like you're, you know, they're using more of their woodsmanship back then. So they're keying in on scrapes and rub lines and anything mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, you're hunting the timber. There weren't a lot of food plots back then. So yeah, they were focused back then on those type of things because how else do you know what deer you have other than maybe shed hunting? But even back, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't hear of a lot of people shed hunting. So I think, I think it's just an evolution of hunting more than anything, you know, that it's, it's not as much as a needed, like I have to, okay, I found a, a scrape in the timber. I know they're around here. I got to sit over this. Well, you know, you got the cameras out now, you, you're going to know they're around there. You know, if you got two cameras out on your property, you're going to find out what deer you have just by setting it on a scrape. So you don't have to post up and hunt over it necessarily. I mean, that's kind of my take on it what about you tom yeah i i think uh, a situation where you might be hunting over a scrape is let's say let's say you have a 40 acre parcel or 
or permission to hunt a neighbor's and maybe it's all timber. Maybe you don't have a food source uh, or, you know, most people probably don't have food plots. Uh, they just have to hunt. You know, they might be hunting an, an ag field or, or, or a, you know, a grass hay field or, or where the deer are feeding or, uh, you know, just a edge of a cut cornfield or something like that. Um, in that situation, maybe they're hunting acorns, you know, in the, in the timber, you know, and that's a situation where I probably would, you probably are forced to actually go do a little scouting, find out which trees have the acorns, hopefully before now. But if you haven't until now, you still got to go and you got to go in your timber. You got to, you got to find out which, which oak trees are producing the, the acorns and then maybe look for some, uh, scrapes around those areas and set up with the wind on it, you know, maybe where your wind's blowing over uh, a valley or somewhere the deer are not bedding uh, or not coming to and from. So, yeah, if, if that situation, I would definitely hunt scrapes, you know, inside the timber. Something yeah, like that. That's a great point. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing to keep in mind, while, you know, most, you know, like I mentioned a little earlier, most studies have shown that the majority of that scraping activity is after dark there is one period of time where it does start to peak and we're entering that right now. The last 10 days of October, supposedly, according to, I think most people, I think anecdotally see this too, but these studies have shown that that last 10 days of October are when your greatest chance of some type of daylight scraping activity or just scraping activity in general is going to happen. So if you're going yeah. to try something like this, you know, these coming weeks are probably your best shot at maybe being able to capitalize on that. So... Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd move your cameras right now to get uh, to get those those cameras on the scrapes. You're going to get an inventory of, of a lot of those big bucks. Maybe not every big buck on your on in your area, but most of them will be hitting scrapes here coming up in the next two weeks. This mm -hmm. two week time frame from here to November first. Yeah. Is there is there anything else that that you think should be covered either when it comes to how you're how you're setting up your trail cameras on those scrapes or you know one of the things he asked was how do you determine if a mock scrape is a success or not? And I, I don't know if there's a good way to answer that. For me, it's, you know, do I see deer hitting it? I mean, are bucks showing up on my trail camera? If that happens for me, I view it as, yeah. <laughs> do you guys feel differently? Absolutely. Yeah, and if they're hitting it regularly and, and uh, you know, and not just, you know, a big buck comes one time and is gone. If, if he's coming back and checking it every night or every other night or – and almost sometimes you can see – uh I've seen those big bucks come into a, a food plot on, with the trecoy situation, back to the trecoy, actually walk in. Uh, this is usually in November. They'll, they'll walk in, hit the trecoy, scrape it, kind of look around, oh, there's no does here. Boom, they're on to the next one. And and it's almost like they're making, like they're a doctor and they're making their rounds in the hospital. And, they, sure. you know, they're going to check and see, see uh, you know, where that doe is and they're looking. So that's... Uh, those scrapes are good for that. It, it, get, it draws them to a point where you're going to be. And that's, and, and the, another thing to talk about is, is how you check your cameras on the scrape. You got, you got to, I mentioned earlier, you got to right, wait for the right wind, but you got to also make sure your path of, of, you know, you're not walking over that scrape to get to your camera. You want to make sure that you check it and, and you're very cognizant of where that camera sits to where you're going to walk. And so they don't smell you, you know? a great point do you now this is something i always kind of struggle with internally in my head when i'm going to check on those cameras 
sometimes I'll come up in one of those locations and the scrape hasn't been freshened up in a long time or leaves have fallen and they've covered it up. And so usually what I've done is I have refreshened it up with my boots and kicked it yep. up and stuff. And I just spray like some scent eliminating spray over where I was kicking around or some nose jammer or something like that just to like, you know, make sure they don't smell human there. Is that something you do or do you avoid that completely to avoid any risk of scent? I do. I don't, I don't use my boot, but I use, I just grab a stick and I'll use the other end of the stick and I just freshen it up. Yes, I absolutely do that every, every time I, I don't know. I don't know if the boot hurts it. I'm not saying that hurts it. I just know that if you ever take a rubber boot and smell it yourself, mm -hmm. if I can smell a rubber boot, I figure they can because <laughs> I don't have a very good nose. Yeah. But uh, but a stick, I figured, you know, if if if, if I'm not using the, the end I grabbed, you know, uh, then then I, I think that's fine. Definitely. All right. Well, anything else, guys, on this topic? I feel like we've done I hope we've done a good job of covering the the 401 of scrapes. This has been some good stuff, I think. At least 301. Yeah. <laughs> well, if there's yeah, nothing else. Grant's question, so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Get to the farm and move some cameras is what I'm hearing. <laughs> it's that time yeah. of year. That's for the, sure. The very last note I wrote down on Brent's question is when to hunt it. Uh, you know, I, I, again, just go back to the simple thing of check those cameras. When are they there? And if you got daylight, that's, that's when I'd be hunting them, mm -hmm. you know. So. Well, you know, what if, what if it's been all middle of the night type movement and then, but like a cold front comes through or you're hitting the last couple of days of October when, yeah. it, I mean, you just kind of take a gamble if you got the right wind, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you, you never know if it's, if the camera's over a scrape that's on a food plot he, or a or food source, he, he might be out in that food source. You just don't have pictures of him there yeah. during you know, that time. So yeah, absolutely, Matt. For sure. Well, it's interesting you say that because just, you know, the other day we had an encounter at my lease with this big deer we're chasing. And of course I got a camera on a fence post facing the other side of where he came out of. And, you know, we hadn't yeah. been getting him for a while. And, and my camera guy, Aaron Bennett, even said, he goes, it just goes to show you the cameras don't show you everything. And it, you know, yep. you, you wouldn't know that unless you were there and saw him with your own eyes. So you know, he, he yep. just because Very he didn't good. have the picture didn't mean he was one right through there. That's right. That's exactly right. So true. Yeah, I've got a similar situation in Michigan. I've got this buck that we've been talking about in the past couple of months, Holyfield. I'm not getting him on camera, but I'm seeing him. So exactly like you said, if I, if I weren't actually out there scouting from a distance, I would think, uh, he's gone. Yeah. But, but he's actually right there. He just, most of the time, he's not walking right past that camera. So sometimes you don't get them all. But yeah. uh, scrapes are definitely one of your best chances to try to get them. So, yeah. well, that said, I think you said you got that buck called Holyfield. I got a buck on my farm I call Holyfield too. Now, does he got a big chunk out of his ear? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> I actually do too, but I haven't gotten any pictures of him since the summer. So I haven't brought him up. But yeah, it's amazing. You all, everybody focuses on whatever a characteristic is, and it seems like that yeah. notch in the ear is that the Holyfield's the easy go-to. <laughs> It is. Maybe I, maybe we got to get more creative. <laughs> oh, you could call him Tyson. <laughs> I, I actually had a second buck on this farm show up. When I had the second shooter, I was like, well, should I have Holyfield and Tyson? And uh, my wife vetoed that one for some reason. So uh, <laughs> the name's still up in the air. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think with that, we should wrap this one up. So thank you, Tom, for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Great insight. And for anyone right now who would like to ask a question in the future, you can do that if you go to 
wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild, and you could submit your own question for us to tackle on a future episode. Also, one final update from me, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you want the audio version. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or even wiredhunt.com. You can listen to it in all those different places. And then also, of course, the video version is over on the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, which Matt can tell you more about. Absolutely. Check out the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to it to get all of our updates. Uh, Tom, for instance, we got several new hunts that have never appeared anywhere else that Tom filmed last fall that are only on our YouTube channel. channel and we're doing a lot of we're trying to do one or two new originals every week plus we're putting up an episode of natural born and so we're populating with a ton of content right now the podcast so make sure and check it out and as always you can always check us out on juryoutdoors.com follow our journal see how the team's doing see what's uh, what's dying across the country and maybe help capitalize and and pick your time to get out into the woods and as always social media at jury outdoors on twitter instagram official Jury Outdoors on Facebook and Mark and Terry have been coming to us live with some Facebook updates as far as like reporting what's going on at this time of the season. So you can get some of that up to the minute access to help you make a decision on where you want to go hunt. So check us out and uh, hopefully we can lend a hand. Sounds a good plan. Well, thank you again, Tom. Thank you, Matt. And thanks everyone for listening. Peace.